All right, now, you guys, please help me welcome special guest speaker, me. <clears throat> See, I told you during worship, you have to get used to this, and this is why. Because, man, every four and a half years, Derek gets a Sunday. And uh, this is that. Oh, my gosh. It's like Krispy Kreme. <laughs> you calling me fatty? <laughs> I'm, I'm sugar-coated and fatty. That's what I am. Like a Krispy Kreme. Okay. <clears throat> so, oh my gosh, you guys. I have been wanting to talk about what I'm going to talk about today for about a year and a half. Problem was, uh, it's, it's not that Brent Tanner don't want to let me, let me share. It's that they kept having guest speakers come by. They were like, oh, we're going to be out of town. And then it was like, oh, the Hartzels are going to be here. So they got to do it. And, and that's kind of how things have been working. And it's just constantly nagging at me that God wanted me to share this message with you today. And um, I don't have a proper intro. I don't have like a funny joke to share with you. People are constantly um, telling me not to try to be like Brent, but Brent and I are kind of alike, I think, more than than you guys probably get because you don't see us together. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Anyway, I was going to say something else, and then I forgot what it was, so I probably shouldn't have said it anyway. In your, in your bulletins, there is a sheet for notes. It's blank. Um, I like to give you guys notes, because I know that a lot of you like notes. You want that tactile. You want something to doodle on. That's cool. That's fair. I want to give you notes, because Holy Spirit's going to say something to you today, and it might be what I'm talking about. It might be completely different, and I want you to be able to write that down, because Holy Spirit is more important than me. It's totally possible that I've spent the last year and a half thinking about this message so that I can totally wreck it. And uh, like I've built it up and I've thought about it so much that I'm not going to share what I need to share, but Holy Spirit can speak to you anyway. So that's what those notes are for. That's why they're blank. Um, Also, I didn't want to make a PowerPoint because I don't like PowerPoint. (laughs) It's not a very fun program for me. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. It seems like uh, every few months I'll, I'll get up and I'll share something. And afterwards, somebody will come up to me and they'll be like, man, that was really good. That was really well, well spoken and it was, it was, it was really good. And, and, I, and on the outside, I'm like, thanks, man. And for those of you that have complimented me, thank you. I appreciate it. But on the inside, I'm like, man, this is my job. This is what I do. God raised me to be a preacher. I preach every week and nobody knows because I don't ever preach to them. So they have no idea that I'm capable of speaking. And then I calm down. But that's what today is for me. It's just a chance for me and you guys to connect. But there is something I need. I do need a thing um, because I feel like I'm talking to a wall. You guys laugh at Brent's bad jokes. Every stinking one of them, whether it's the good one or the bad one. Give me some noise, please. Talk to your... I need you this morning. This microphone is killing me. Um... I want you guys to talk to your neighbor, like whisper to them, uh, point out goofy stuff, put a headphone in. Put, in, put in some earbuds while I'm talking, that will make me feel at home. That's what I'm used to, because me. And then I'll be like, take it out, and I'll be like, that's what I need. Can, can you guys do that for me? Just go, with the eye roll. If, if it doesn't strain under here, in, behind the bone, if it doesn't strain there, you haven't rolled high enough, okay? Okay, so, yes, let's be teenagers today um, because I want to share with you guys something that is very freeing and open and, and should be fun. Um, 
It might not feel like fun for part of the time, but it will be fun. So yeah, the notes are there. They're there for you. Uh, Please use them however you want. Now, there's something that we talk about at youth a lot, and this is when the sermon starts. I did that for my radio program. (laughs) So when I edit, I know where I can cut it and and start at. Um, That's better. Just anchor that right there, and we can all do what we got to do. See how I can move my head and my neck? So comfortable. Okay, so something that we talk about at youth often is the pregnancy of Scripture. And I don't know that that term has been used here very often because I haven't heard it. But when I was in Bible school, we talked about the pregnancy of Scripture a lot. And what that, what that, that is, is where there's a single Scripture or a single lesson that has many applications. Okay? So uh, you might read something that, that means a very specific thing, but it also applies in other ways. And that's kind of what we're looking at today, but it's kind of not what we're looking at today. Have you guys ever um, been taught something that sounded right? And it sounded right for generations, and then somebody got up and told you, actually, that's not what that is? That's kind of what I'm going to do today, a little bit. And um, hopefully, more than half of you are going to be like, Derek, you're telling us stuff we know, and that'll be cool. That'll be good. But um, you know that part in the New Testament where... where, um, I believe it was Jesus said, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. And then for years and years and generations and generations, people have taught that that if you're lukewarm, Jesus will spit you out of his mouth. You guys want to know what that actually means? Okay. There are three rivers in the area where Jesus was speaking. There are three rivers, three springs. Okay. There's one town had a hot spring where people would go for healing and to relax and rest and, 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 and be rejuvenated. There was another one that had a cold spring where people would go for refreshing and to, um, uh, to, to get drinks and water their horses and stuff. And then there was one in the middle that was lukewarm. In the town that was built around the lukewarm water, the water wasn't very good. It tasted like Gillette water. If you've been to Gillette, you know what I'm talking about. You get all your daily, daily vitamins and minerals in a glass of water, it comes out yellow. If you're careful, you can light it on fire. It's wonderful stuff. <clears throat> That's what... That's the kind of water in this town in the middle. And so when, what Jesus was referring to is, I would rather you be comforting and healing people or refreshing and rejuvenating people than doing what the city in the middle does. And the city in the middle only existed for commerce. It was, it was, a, it was a financial um, city. It was, it was where all the business stuff happened. So what did Jesus say? I would rather have you be healing people or re, re, uh, helping people rest than fighting over money. That's essentially what he was saying. He was saying, these things are better than money. That's what it's about. And I actually, I didn't come up with that. Pam and I were at a conference a few years ago where um, one of the main speakers uh, shared that with us. And his was a very long conversation about how all the rivers lined up and what he was talking about. And he had maps and stuff. And it was like you expect at a conference. But today we're going to do something kind of like that. But here's the thing. I don't want to take away your hope. Back up a second. So we see how it's not contradictory. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to unsave you. Because that's what we taught, right? Jesus said, if you're not hot or you're not cold, I'd rather spit you out. Well, Jesus doesn't want you to be cold. Obviously, Jesus would, have you, would rather have you be half in love with him because then at least he can work with you, right? So the, 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 it didn't make sense. It never made sense. But this other thing totally makes sense. And Jesus isn't saying, I'm going to get rid of you. I'm not going to, you know, you're going to go burn in hell. He's saying, like lukewarm, nasty Gillette water, I'm going to spit you out. I don't want that in me. I don't want that kind of relationship here. And <clears throat> he wasn't at all saying that you're going to go burn in hell. All right? 
That's not what Jesus came for. Jesus didn't come to tell people they were going to burn in hell. Jesus is very clear about what he said he came to do, and he did that, and we're just still learning what that means. So it's not my desire to take away your hope today, okay? Because it's a big fear. In fact, I have lost sleep this week and been scared because I know that there are a lot of you that have what you would call prodigal children, children who grew up in your homes, who grew up in the church, who are now not living with Christ, and they're not living in the church, and they're not doing the things that you want them to do. And you would call them prodigals because you would be hoping that they would come back and God would welcome them, like in the story of the prodigal son. That's the story we're talking about today, because that's not what that story means. And I have lost sleep, and I've been stressed, because I don't want you guys to lose hope for what you would call your prodigal children. I don't want you to feel like I'm saying God is not going to welcome them back. What I am telling you is that your kids that you feel aren't living the way that they should, who aren't living with God, God never left them. They never got away from him. Okay, so your hope should not be in in that God will welcome them back when he comes back. God never unwelcomed them in the first place, okay? Uh, Like Pastor Tana had me read last Sunday during this service, there is nothing that can separate us from God's love. Nothing. In that whole chunk of scripture that I'm not going to read right now because it is very long, And I've got a lot of other stuff to do in the next 28 minutes. Is that clock right? 30 minutes. I have 30 minutes. That clock is wrong. That clock is wrong. Um, By two and a half minutes. Uh, If Jesus says, if the Bible says there's nothing that can separate us from God's love, what is excluded in the word nothing? I know that's confusing. I'm going to ask that again. Teenagers take a while too. It's okay. It's not an age thing. What is excluded in the word nothing? Nothing. Nothing is excluded. So if Jesus says, I have done everything, he means he has done everything. And if he says, if the Bible says nothing can separate us from the love of God, that means nothing, including our sins. Our walking away, our attitude, our behavior does not separate us from the love of God because God is so much bigger than that. We get this idea that God is, is um, um, like a touchy-feely, hurt sort of a guy. Um, where I'm like, the church hurt me and I'm legitimately hurt and God, I don't want to talk to you. And then God's like, you don't want to talk to me. He doesn't do that. He comes over and he stands next to them. He says, oh my gosh. Is Errol in here or is she in there? Okay. My daughter is uh, almost eight. And she acts like she's almost 18. And I think I'm not the only one to have experienced this. But she's at this phase where everything upsets her, everything causes a fit, and everything gets me a slammed door. So it's like, Errol, I need you to do this thing you don't want to do. And I give her her space. I give her her time because I know that she needs time to heal. She needs time to get her head wrapped around the thing. And I know that if I try to go talk to her now, it's not going to help. Do you guys think that God is like that kind of smart? Where he's like, I understand this person's hurt. I'm going to let them have their moment. Do you think God's ever not there? Do you think I'm ever not sitting in the living room? Do you think I'm like, oh, it'll hurt me. I'm going to go move to, back to Gillette because I don't know where else I would go if I didn't live here. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's not... That's not how God works. And we, 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 for some reason, think that God is like us. But he says that his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And God does not behave the way that we might. 
Okay, so when we do get upset, when we do get frustrated, when we leave the church, when we're not living the way that we should, God is still there. There is no separation. So if you have what you would call a prodigal child, okay, the reason I keep saying what you would call a prodigal child is because the definition of the word prodigal is one who spends frivolously, not one who is lost. So prodigal doesn't even mean prodigal, um, if, 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 you, if you look at it that way. Uh, the reason he's called the prodigal son is because he took his, his, his uh, inheritance. Thank you. He took his inheritance and spent it like a crazy person and then was broke. Uh, that's why he's uh, the, the prodigal son, not because he left. Um, my version, the NLT actually calls him the lost son. And today we're talking about the lost son. <clears throat> and I want to talk about what this scripture actually means because it has the ability, understanding this scripture has the ability to not only change our lives, but change the world around us. And not because it's wonderful and, and great, but because having the right perspective on truth will change everything. I think at the end of Galatians, there's a, a, a passage that says, um, uh, to some people, coming to God is like going into slavery, and to some people, it's like being free, or something to that effect. And I, I was talking to Pam about this when we were, I was probably 22. I was like, Pam, I don't understand this, this conflict. She goes, Derek, it's just perspective. Because if you've been living free, doing whatever you want, and you know, having wealth and so on and so forth, then Christianity is going to feel like going into slavery because you're giving up what you thought was fun and great and wonderful. And then if you have been living in slavery, bondage, and so on and so forth, coming to Christ is freeing. And so it's just perspective. And having right perspective opens things up. Okay? So this is the parable of the lost son, and we are going to start by reading... Not that chapter... Luke chapter 15. <laughs> Lord, I had it on Matthew, or Mark. Here we go. And we're going to jump right down. Okay, so we're in Luke 15, verse 11. <clears throat> now, if I read too fast, if I speak too fast, that's just because that's who I am. I'm not nervous. This is where I live. This is my home. It never matters to me how stressful a Wednesday is because when I get to this spot, I know this is where I belong and everything's okay because this is where I get to bring the word of God and that's, it's, it's in me to do that, okay? So if I'm speaking too quickly for you, get the video, the podcast, slow it down. The podcast has that option. You can slow down a podcast, I believe. So here we go, Luke fifteen eleven. Is that what I said? Yes, 11, here we go. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told him this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him to the fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding to the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have, have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead, and now he has returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, You have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So, if this isn't the prodigal son, if this isn't about the younger brother, who is it about? Who's represented in the story? Well, Jesus is telling the story, so it could be about Jesus. But if it is about Jesus, then either he's the son who bailed, or he's the son that was grouchy when everybody came back. And neither of those sound like Jesus. So obviously Jesus is not talking about himself. <sighs> I feel like I'm Fazzini in uh, Princess Bride. But it can't be this, because it can't be that. Was Jesus telling the story about how he would treat our children when they've gone astray and returned to us? Well, he wasn't speaking to parents. So then who was he talking to? Well, we can find that out in 15.1, verse 15.1. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Okay, oh, then Jesus is talking about sinners, right? Because that's, that's who, it, no. Verse two, this made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Okay, so we have two groups of people that Jesus is speaking to. Sinners and Pharisees, or sorry, sinners and Pharisees, or teachers of religious law. So what was the problem? The problem was the good people, the religious people, couldn't understand why Jesus was spending time with the bad people. So Jesus, being fully God and fully man, had this moment (laughs) where he's like, let me tell you some stories. Story time. Story time with Jesus. Ring, turn the page, you know. So they sit down, and Jesus speaks to the religious leaders. Let's read the first thing that Jesus shares, okay? Jesus tells a story. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go search for the one that he, search for the lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Ah, but Derek, he's talking about saving lost people. He had the sheep, the sheep was lost, the sheep came back. It's the same story. Jesus is talking about the prodigal sons. That's, That's what that's about. Not sure, not sure. A hundred sheep, something that's interesting to know, just a little nugget of information. A hundred sheep was an average size for a shepherd of modest means. hundred isn't a lot. hundred isn't a little. hundred is pretty normal. Not important. But the shepherd would not actually just leave his sheep 
in the middle of nowhere where other stuff could attack it. I was always like, man, what's happening to the 99 while the shepherd's gone? Doesn't make sense. But everybody that was listening to this story, everybody in earshot would understand that shepherds kind of congregate together and it wouldn't be very hard for me to take my 99, stick them with that guy's 100 and go find my one. And, and that, that guy would do it because I would do it for him because there's a lot of teamwork in, in the, the, the farming or uh, agricultural communities. Let's go ahead and read the next story. Okay, the parable of the lost coin starts on verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the, sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. The value of a coin. I found this online. It's from a book called... Um, Poet and Peasant Through the Peasant's Eyes, a Literary Cultural Approach to the Parables in Luke. Uh, so yeah, look that up. But uh, it says, the, the peasant village is, to a large extent, self-supporting, making its own cloth and growing its own food. Cash is a rare commodity. Hence, the lost coin is of far greater value in a peasant home than the day's labor it represents monetarily. Monetarily, uh, a silver coin was about a day's wages. Another thing that I read was that it could be part of her dowry. Now, when we, when we have, um, in, in this culture, when they have the, the marriage ceremony, the husband essentially buys the wife from her father, but also the, the daughter or, or the soon-to-be wife brings finances into the, uh, the marriage. And this is probably what Jesus was referring to in this story, that um, this is what represented her. This is, this is what the only value that she had to bring to the marriage, in their culture, that would have been a very big deal, and one coin would have been a lot to not have. <clears throat> so it was also very important. Um, so Jesus told three stories about valuables that had been lost and found. First, a sheep, then a coin, finally, a beloved son. What we want to look at is the point of ownership. The point of ownership is very important because it tells us whether or not these were prodigal pennies Sorry. Or if they were something else. In the parable of the lost son, we assume the son was already saved. That's something that we've assumed. That's something that we've been taught for generations. But that's not really a son relationship. That's not how being a son works. Okay, it's not like Pam had Xander off somewhere else, and when he was old enough to come to me and say a prayer, I called him my son. That's not how a son relationship works. Xander was my son from the moment he was born, and, and, and actually months before that, he was my son. Xander was my son forever, and he's never not been my son, and he will never not be my son. Where was I? The father sees us all as his children, whether we're saved or not. See, we tend to have this very narrow view, especially in Christianity. We try to understand things, so we simplify them. We try to understand things, so we stop looking through God's eyes and start looking through our own. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's like the three blind men um, who meet an elephant for the first time, and they all walk up and they touch the elephant, and the one guy's like, oh, it's like a snake. The elephant's like a snake. And the other guy's like, oh, the elephant's like a wall. The other guy's like holding the tail. He's like, what are you guys talking about? It's like a little worm. And, and, they're, and no, nobody's getting it because the elephant is so much bigger and so much grander than they can see. That's what we're like trying to explain God. So it's important that we always keep an open mind and that we're always looking and searching and testing out all of this stuff. Whatever I say this morning, 
It's on me. What I teach is on me. What you absorb and apply to your life is on you. Same for me when Brent's preaching. Whatever I apply to my life, that's on me. The Bible very clearly says, search out the truth for yourself, okay? So I want to encourage you guys to do that. And this is what I'm doing with this. I'm searching out the truth for myself and I'm sharing what I've learned with you. So the sheep story and the coin story don't make reference to acquisition before becoming lost and then found again. All it says is a man has a hundred sheep and a woman has 10 silver coins. And specifically in the woman's case, there's a good chance that those 10 silver coins were given to her by her family, by her father at birth, so that she would have a dowry to carry into the next. Um, that's, that's just kind of like, you know, a possibility. There's, there's not any specific truth there. It hasn't been proven, but it, it makes sense. We cannot infer the salvation of the sheep or the coin and then apply the return to God. It's not, it's not fair. We can't do that. The father's son was always his son from before birth. So the son leaving the father is a first event. In the parable of the lost son, the separation of the younger son happened in Genesis between Noah and Abraham. We see a big split happen with Abraham's two sons, uh, one that would represent God's chosen people and one that would represent everybody else. The two brothers are Israel and everybody else. That's what I'm bringing to you this morning. Um, <clears throat> That we have in this story, we have Jews and we have Gentiles. Because who was, who was Jesus speaking to that day? He was speaking to the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law, and he was speaking to everybody else. So, who would the brothers have been? Who would the, ten, who would the nine coins versus the one coin have been? Who would the 99 sheep versus the one sheep have been? Who stayed home? Israel stayed home. Israel were God's chosen people. You know, let's read about that just a little bit. I've got time. <clears throat> the Jews believe they are God's chosen people, and they are. We all know that. We agree with that. We support Israel. Israel is God's chosen people. Um, but to the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law, the whole God's chosen people phrase would have been what is now considered an outdated claim of superiority. And we see that in just about every dealing that Jesus has with the Pharisees is that they think they're better than everybody else, and Jesus says, you're not. <laughs> so I found this, uh, this blog written by a guy named Rabbi Alan Lurie. Um, I'll give you a spelling on that later if you want to read it, but he says, the Jewish concept of the chosen people is not a badge of support, superiority and separation. Quite the contrary. Jewish chosenness is a humble call to action and responsibility. Jews are chosen, much as one may say to a child, the room needs cleaning, and I choose you to do the work. You are my chosen child. In this way, all people are chosen for something. Jews specifically have been chosen to, or have chosen to, be of service to others uh, so that the world may be a more just place. And I would say, also chosen to be the family that Jesus came through. But chosenness does not denote not chosenness. This is me now. Just because I choose Xander does not mean that I don't choose Errol. Choosing Xander does not mean that Errol is not important to me. Choosing Xander does not mean that Errol is no longer my daughter. And it's the same with God. Just because God chose Israel does not mean that he abandoned the rest of the world. We tend to think that. It tends to be implied in just about everything we say and do. But God did not. That would be contradictory to his nature because God is love. And it would be very unloving to say, this group of people I love and everybody else, not so much. 
That's contradictory to who God is. At God's very core, he is love. That is what he is. And he cannot, it is not in his nature to not love any one of his children. So in these stories, Jesus is pointing out that all do belong to the owner and that all are important to the owner. But how does this apply to us? Well, perspective changes everything. And the story of the lost son is a story of salvation. I'm going to take a few minutes. I'm going to share this story with you guys. I might go just a hair over. I apologize for that. But um, I want to do this justice, okay? So a man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want, to, I want to go and live on my own. I want to do what I want to do. And one son didn't. One son stayed and was faithful to his dad. The faithful son went to work. He worked on the farm. He worked on the ranch. He did what his father needed him to do. He was there. He was always there. He was consistent. He was constant. He tried his best. The other son went out and lived however he wanted to. Oh, he was a prodigal for sure. He spent his freedom unwisely. And he lived doing whatever he wanted to the point where it became gross to him and it was no longer useful to him. And it got to the point where he said, you know, this life isn't good. This freedom that, I th- that I've been living in isn't good. It's not healthy. I don't feel good. I don't like this. And he looked over at God and he looked over at the Christians And he said, those people, the father, he loves me. And I would rather be a slave and serve them and give up all of my freedom to just have a taste of what they have. And this guy, the younger son, he thinks, okay, they're not going to take me. They're not going to take me. They're not going to take me. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. They're not going to take me. What should I do? I'll beg. Because when we have nothing, what do we have? We have our words. So he's like, I'm going to beg. I'm going I'm to tell him that I'm trash and you're awesome and, and I just want to be with you. I'll do anything. I'll scrub your toilets. I have a toothbrush. It's good for that. I will do anything. <laughs> and he gets, he gets this nice long prayer written out that he's going to say so that his father will accept him. And he starts walking home and there's all this tension because he's not sure, is he going to say yes? Is he going to say no? Is this, is this, this God or these Christians, are they going to accept me? Are they going to take me? Do they know how much I want this? Just a taste. That's all I want, just a taste. I just, 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 just let me sleep with the pigs and stuff and just let me eat whatever is left over and just, just let me just be a part of it. Just, just a little bit. I just want to be a little bit a part of it. And he starts walking. Meanwhile, God... And in this case, we're not talking about God the Father. We're not talking about God the Son. We're not talking about Holy Spirit. We're talking about the triune God where all three stood together and looked out, waiting for their lost son, for the son that hadn't been with them since since earth began. And they looked. And when they were far off in the distance, God saw them. And he stood there with his arms crossed. And he waited. That's not what it says. He took off running, and he ran, and he ran. And before his son could even get onto the property, God ran to him and gave him everything. He gave him right standing. He gave him a ring. He gave him his princehood back. He gave him back everything that 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 boy ever deserved, that he was never there to earn. He gave it to him before he could speak a word, because that is our God. Our God is the God who saves before we speak. 
That is our God. Jesus told this story. To religious people and to sinners. And the religious people, what was their part of the story? Well, the older brother came out of the field and said, hey, dad, what's going on? Why did you welcome this guy in? We've been working. We've been slaving. We've been obedient. We didn't party. No, we were good church people. We were at Destiny on a Sunday morning when it was two degrees outside. You owe us. We never got to party because we were always being good. Now you're throwing a party for him? What the smack? Smack is fair. I'm allowed to say that. And God says, God says, look, son, you have always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this day for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So we talk about salvation being dead before Christ and alive in him. That's what Jesus is saying here. Jesus told this story before he even died. The lost in our world are dead and they get to come back. It doesn't matter what they're doing. It doesn't matter what kind of life they're living. It doesn't matter what what choices that they're making with their bodies or with their minds or whatever that they're doing. They get in. And we have a choice. We have a choice. We can behave like the older brother. Or we can take part in the party. We can welcome them like the father does. That's what this story is about. Jesus was saying, oh, Pharisees, I love you so much, but you're missing it. You're not better than them. You're just different. Guys, we're not better than them. We're not better than the people in the world. We can stand here all day. And we can look out at the homosexual community. We can say, man, if I was you, if you were me, this would be totally different. I would make totally different. You wouldn't. Because if you were them, you would have made the exact same choices because you would have had the exact same history. You would have had the exact same abuse. We are all equal. There is no if I were you. It doesn't exist. Because if I were you, I would have done the same thing. So we have a choice. We can, we can complain about the world around us and how they're not living right and be upset when they do start coming to Jesus and he gives them the same freedoms that we've had. Or we can join the party. Uh, a year ago, two years ago, somewhere in there, Pastor Brent uh, shared, shared a video and um, it was, uh, um, oh, shoot, this is just new. I didn't write this down because I didn't think of it until right now, but it's, um, if it's us versus them, it's us for them. Guys, we get to be jealous of the world or we can be jealous for them. The difference between the two, God is jealous for his people. He wants them. He wants them. He loves them. When God says, I'm jealous for you, a lot of people think that means he's jealous of us. Like, why would God be jealous of us? Oprah is big on that. Uh, she's like, well, I ain't going to believe in a God that's jealous of me. Like, well, great for you, Oprah, but actually he's jealous for you. He wants you. He doesn't want the world to have you. He wants to have you to himself. He wants to hold you close. He wants to love you. He wants to care for you. He wants to see you grow and shine and be awesome. We need to have God's view. We need to be jealous for our brothers and sisters that aren't inside these walls. When we're watching on, on social media or the news or we're seeing the marches and the parades and all the stuff that's going on in the world around us, we need to be jealous for those people. 
We need to see them and say, man, if only. I just want them to come and be loved. I don't care what they do. I don't care. This, this, is, this is basically God's heart. God's saying, yeah, they're sinners. I love them. That's what Jesus was saying when he was telling the story to the Pharisees. Yes, sure, they're not who you are. I love them. Guys, the behavior of the lost doesn't affect our salvation. We don't need to be angry at them. We don't need to hate them. We need to see them as God does. We need to view their actions and choices that are hurting them. We need for our hearts to break for them. Our desire needs to be that they find life with Christ because they need him just as much as we do. Let's let our perspective of those people become the Father's perspective. Let's let the Father's perspective invade us. Let's stand. If you're here this morning and you've heard this story and you're like, man, I want to be in. If you relate to the, to the young man that I was telling the story about a few minutes ago that just wanted, just ached to be a part of what was going on, you can have a full part of what's going on here. And we would welcome you to do that today. If you want to give your life to Jesus, this, and today is the day that you want to, guys, we still say the prayer. Why? Because it marks us. It's an outward response to the interchange, okay? And that's what we're supposed to have. We're supposed to have an outward response to the interchange. So yeah, we'll say a prayer. We'll say a salvation prayer. The younger son still said all the stuff that he was going to say. The father was just so quick that it was, it was done before he had a chance to speak. So if you're here today and you want to give your, give your life to Christ, you want to step into this journey with us, you want to be a part of what's going on, a part of the love that God has for you, just raise your hand up and keep it up for just a second. I'm not blind, but I'm slow. All right. Then I'm just going to pray for you guys, and I'm going to let you go. God, I thank you so much for every person here. God, I thank you that you brought us in to your game, that you picked us first for this game. God, I pray that you would change our hearts, that you would open our hearts, that you would open our mind, that you would open our eyes to see the hurt in our world. God, help us to feel your feelings in response to the world, to the unsaved God, our unsaved brothers and sisters. For too long, God, brother and sister in the church has been used to to talk about people in the walls, to talk about people in the circle, in the fold. But God, our brothers and sisters are outside and we don't want them outside anymore. God, we want to bring them in out of the cold. We want to love on them. We want to hold them. We want to heal them. We want to see you change their lives, God, because you changed our lives. And it's so cool. We want to see it again. God, thank you for letting us be a part of this. In this time in in history, to be a part of what's going on now. Thank you for putting us in this place. Because it's a great place to be. God, you are holy and awesome and wonderful. And we love you. In your name we pray. Amen.